This podcast may include adult content. Bound Off is an independent, nonprofit audio magazine committed to paying authors for their work. To join us in our mission of broadcasting great stories to a worldwide audience, please consider dropping us a dollar or two at boundoff.com slash donate. Support for this episode comes from Loft Literary Center, located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, one of the nation's leading literary nonprofits, offering a wide array of online creative writing classes for all levels and genres. Online classes are offered seasonally. Find out how to register at loft.org. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Baby by Andrew Cosma and Smote by Camille Greep. Baby, written and read by Andrew Cosma. Listening time, three minutes. Baby was angry. She told us, I'm not going to eat anything until you apologize. I won't eat, and I'll starve to death, and you'll be sorry. Baby was two, and not quite a baby anymore. But she was ours, and we loved her, and we laughed when she told us she wouldn't eat anymore. We laughed because she was a baby, and she would forget what she'd promised when the smell of roast filled the house like a drug. But Baby was stubborn. When dinner came along, with fresh rolls sleeping in butter, and with apple pie already tempting us to dessert, she refused. We tried the airplane, the choo-choo, the hoverboat, but no play-acting would pry her lips apart. We guilted her on behalf of the vegetables who'd only volunteered to be boiled alive because they'd believed Baby would be the one to eat them. But she stayed her mouth closed. She stared at us. She dared us to call her bluff. We called her bluff. We didn't apologize. We had nothing to apologize for. But Baby didn't believe us, or Baby didn't care. She continued not eating through every meal. Her face lost all its baby fat, and we could see in the structure of her bones the beautiful woman she would become as soon as she gave up this stupid notion of resistance to power. Because Baby can't resist. We're stronger than her. We dress her up and dress her down. We taught her how to go potty, and we taught her how to talk, and we taught her the rudiments of logic, the tendons of supposition, and the necessity of standing behind your argument until you're proven wrong. We can throw Baby up in the air. But Baby resisted. She didn't eat her green peas, her garlic-mashed potatoes, her bacon fried in bacon fat. She didn't eat her free-range fried chicken or her deep-fried hot dogs. She didn't eat her birthday cake or her unbirthday cake. Before our eyes, Baby wasted away from the woman she would become into the skeleton she would end as. Her eyes grew larger and larger as the skin pulled away from them and her silent accusations weighed us down like a lead blanket. We apologize, we screamed. Baby's worm-thin lips curled in triumph, and now Baby was hungry. We fed her with our fingers and our toes until her strength came back. Then Baby finished us off. Oh, Baby. 
Andrew Cosmos stories have appeared in Digital Americana, Stupefying Stories, and Diagram. His book of poems, City of Regret, Zone 3 Press, 2007, won the Zone 3 First Book Award. Smote, written and read by Camille Greep. Listening time, 12 minutes, 45 seconds. J.C. sat at the head of a burled mahogany table, flanked by the ramrod figures of eleven men and one woman. He took a deep breath, wishing he could inhale some sort of ballast for the oncoming shitstorm. "'Can you repeat that again?' asked Matthew. "'He did what?' asked Mark. "'How long have you known?' asked Luke. "'Can we get something a little stiffer?' John shook his tumbler of water at a quivering angel on the back wall. "'Of course it was an accident,' said J.C., he wiped his palms on his burlap trousers, perspiration his least favorite human trait. He's out of practice with smiting. The withering glares of the committee tacitly condemned his father. They had less and less patience for the old man. J.C. took solace in the fact that there were at least a few humans left. Sure, most of the survivors were the kind to start wars with each other over small, expired tins of food that had never tasted very good to begin with, but it was a start. This is going to ruin us, said Mary Magdalene. The committee had spent the last two thousand years watching their connections to the earth die off, their bloodlines and their cities, and the places they'd caught fish and the places they'd made love, it had been so long that the twelve of them barely saw the accident as much more than a business loss. But the loss was large. The careful meeting of fear and random injustice kept heaven's currency, bundled prayers, flowing fast enough to keep their servants docile and their pegasi eating premium hay from silver mangers. Their suits were made from the fiery skins of stars, and their ties woven from the silk of rain spiders, the pleas sent up from earth had fed and clothed spouses and children and provided marble floors, infinity pools, double-sided refrigerators, and gazebos for their cloud mansions. J.C. had insisted on keeping his brown, itchy suits and just three shiny satin ties. He stayed in a modest room off the great hall. He knew this would happen some day. They hadn't believed him, which was nothing new. It's time he started thinking about retirement, said Matthew. You have to do something about this, said Mark. Can't you just take over operations, asked Luke. Can I have another glass of wine? John shook his empty glass at a cherub carrying a tray of cheese. Moses and God were playing two-handed euchre in the great hall. The scorekeeper, a young seraphim, was dozing in the sunlight. "'Were you planning on dealing some time today?' asked God. "'What, you gotta be somewhere?' asked Moses. "'I'll deal when I'm good and ready.' God threw up his hands and then set them on his thick, white-robed thighs. He motioned to the scorekeeper, who'd opened his eyes at the noise. "'Can we get a bottle of Chianti, and perhaps some of those olives I like with the red centers?' As the angel swept out of the door, J.C. strode in with Mary Magdalene on his heels, Ah, if it isn't the dynamic duo, God frowned. This better not be about Tuesday. Can you blame them, Moses chuckled. That was one gigantic fuck-up. You try running the universe, you shriveled fig sack. 
God rose up, cards fanned and unguarded. I could run it with my eyes closed, you overblown windbag, said Moses. You couldn't run a vacuum cleaner, said God. The cards flew through the air. Mary started. The committee feels, sir. I could give a fat rat's ass what the committee feels, Mags. Sir, if you'd just... J.C. held up a hand. Listen, why don't you think about taking a vacation? I'll take over operations for a bit. Mags and I will keep things going. You and Mo can go fishing for space whales or visit Buddha. Whatever. You're stressed out. You need a break. My finger slipped. I said I was sorry. You and your beloved humans, simpering weaklings. Hey, said Moses. I didn't mean you, said God. Sir, said Mary Magdalene, you wiped out all but ten thousand humans. The cockroaches will have them imprisoned by month's end if the wild animals donate them first. You know, God put a finger to his ruby lips. I've always been partial to bears. Maybe we should restart with bears instead. Do you like bears, Mo? I prefer camels, actually, said Moses. We could add a few bears, said Mags. No bears, no camels, no cockroaches. J.C. heard himself yelling. One more asinine mistake, and it was curtains. The humans were just as likely to make the final error themselves. But he loved them. His human heart ached. His human balls itched. He couldn't separate those things from himself. You're too close to the situation, J.C., said God. It'll have to be someone else. Mary Magdalene brightened, but God shook his head at her. You aren't ready for that kind of responsibility, Mags. Sexist bullshit, she muttered. Moses' face twisted with epiphany. Job! Job's the man for the job. Though his mouth rarely moved anymore, Job's eyebrows hung over his eyes like woolly caterpillars. They crawled high onto his forehead as J.C. explained his appointment to Chief Operating Officer. Do you have any questions? asked J.C. Job's eyebrows scrunched together as if conferring with each other. J.C. had never been able to make his eyebrows move in interesting ways. He'd practiced raising one and then the other, but had given up after a few years. Of course, with such a big cut in prayer revenue, we can't offer you much in the way of a signing bonus. And really, you'll be inheriting a mess. I can understand if you don't want to take it. The eyebrows squirmed themselves into tildes. Job took the sheaf of paper from J.C.'s hand and pried the feather pen from Mary Magdalene's fingers. She glowered as he scribbled his name on the page. Follow me, said J.C., Inside the gray control room, a panoramic glass window looked out onto nothingness. When J.C. twisted the leftmost dial on the control panel to Earth, the blue and green planet sprang to life through the window. He slowed the rotation with a trackball and zoomed in with a joystick. Is there anything else you need? J.C. asked. Job shook his head, and his eyebrows remained still. The passwords are in that black binder, J.C. added. He took Mary Magdalene's hand and closed the door behind him. Job spun around a few times in God's gigantic red velour swivel chair. He flipped open the black binder 
and traced his finger down the coffee-stained index until he found the console password. He continued to zoom until he could see downtown Seattle. The top of the Space Needle was resting on the hulking remnants of a cruise ship, and rotting fish spilled from the downtown market. The caterpillars moved low over his eyes, and he put his head in his hands. He watched the wailing wretches from the spaces between his fingers. He'd been in their shoes. This is why they'd chosen him. He had half a mind to just put the earth out of its misery. That would be the most humane thing to do. Instead, he'd have to find a way to bring them some hope. There was a boy, a young man, really, who reminded Job of his youngest son from before the tempest. A buttonless, rumpled red plaid shirt hung from the boy's shoulders, clashing with his orange cowlicks. A young woman helped him build a lean-to, clad in a dirty rickrack dress. They were thin. They were unshod. Their eyes were dull. These were the ones that didn't have any hope to begin with. Job put his hairy chin in his palm. He could schedule a rainstorm to give them water. He could send wind to clear the debris. He could send the sun to make them warmer. He scrolled through the alphabetized options in the binder. There was a red button on the console labeled End. His finger hovered over it for a moment. But Job wasn't afraid of God anymore. He knew now that it had been horse races and poker games and people. He had been chattel and casualty. He stared at a green switch labeled You. He rechecked the instructions in the binder. He aimed his index finger at the toggle, and then he switched it to on. At first, the screen had filled with light. Job squeezed his eyes until the color behind the lids changed from orange back to black. Job's shoulders drew towards the screen. Now clad in white, the pair of humans stretched as the sun broke. A thyme-scented morning poured through gauze curtains. Outside the pale mansion, fat honeybees, weighed down from the pollen on their feet, bumped through vibrant mums and fragrant chives. The man inhaled, took the woman's waist in his arm, cradled her face, and kissed her. She began to walk backwards towards the bed. Job zoomed out. On the other side of the world, where breakfast had already occurred, the people were gathered in the squares. They ate and drank. Job could see the prayer ticker on the wall rolling steadily upwards. The committee would be pleased. Perhaps, if he could buy his wife a moonstone, she'd remember the old days and lead him backwards towards the bed. But the ticker began to slow by autumn, and when winter came, the humans slept, awoke, ate and slept again. They traveled less, and they grew tired. Their bodies morphed from bony rectangles to soft oblongs. Job watched as the prayer ticker came to a halt. He zoomed in on the couple in Seattle, who sat at the edge of their bed, picking feathers out of the comforter. Do you see what you've done? Job spun around in the chair to find Mag standing at the back of the room, arms crossed, mouth pinched. You've made them weak. They have no dreams. Without dreams, they can't believe in each other. 
Without believing in each other, there's no true love. Look at them. Job turned back to the screen. The woman was at the window, eyes empty, mouth flat. The man had gone back to sleep. Job looked at the ticker. They're in want for nothing, said Mags, and they're in want for everything. Don't you remember how that feels? Job's caterpillar eyebrows met over his nose, and then he met Mags's eyes. He didn't have to remember. He still felt it, a rending within his soul. Everything, nothing, everything again. He was broken. He'd only meant to help them, not turn them into himself. He stood up, handed Mags the black binder, and left the room. Mary Magdalene sat down in the red velour swivel chair. She adjusted the height and the armrests. Her hand lingered on the screen, where she touched the woman and then the man. She sniffed hard and then opened the binder to be for bears. Camille Grieb lives and writes near Seattle, Washington. You can find more of her work at camillegreep.com. C-A-M-I-L-L-E-G-R-I-E-P.com. Listener-supported Bound Off is made possible by grants from the Kern Family Endowed Fund. Further support comes from the Google Grants Program. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off, Copyright Bound Off, and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.